Loaded sport. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, God, <laughs> what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just too good. Unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to episode 70 of Loaded Sport. Tonight we've got a skeleton crew as Kemp is living it up in Dublin, and Sam unfortunately has come down with a case of COVID and isn't fully fit and hasn't passed the pre pod fitness test to be able to make it tonight. Joining me is a man that isn't quite at 100%, but I need to speak to someone, Aggie. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. I've got my uh, cup of tea in the old Russell Wilson mug in front of me, just in case it does get too much for me. But yeah, it's been a, a long old week so far and we're only halfway through it. So I'm feeling on the up. But uh, yeah, I thought I can't leave you speaking to uh, nobody, can I? So I thought I'd jump in and uh, help you out where I can. So yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Yeah, it's, uh, I completely agree. Been a long week. We're only halfway through it, but... We're, we're over hump day now, aren't we? So uh, this time of the week, hitting record on this means we're closer to the weekend. So I'm not too bad overall. But yeah, if I if I was on my own, I waffle enough as it is at the best of times. So if I'm just left to it, it might end up being the longest episode in Loaded Sport history. And it's just me chatting shit for God knows how long. But uh, yeah, tonight we've got plenty to talk about. Despite it being just me and you, we've got football. What happened over the past weekend, what we've got coming up. We've got Formula One, of course, last weekend's um, Japan Grand Prix with Red Bull being crowned the Constructor. Structures champions um, and also plenty in the NFL. Loads happened in week three. It's the week of the underdog. There's plenty of upsets across the league and then some tasty matchups to look forward to for week four this weekend as well. So plenty to talk about over the next hour, hour and a half or so. Um, so let's crack on. But we were going to shelve Loyal Man for a week, but I thought, no, why not? Let's go just us two, see how far we can get. I'm no doubt you're going to chuck a spanner in the works and uh, it'll probably last for about five seconds. But why rest it just because everyone else has taken a week off? Let's keep it going. So, Aggie, you're up first, mate. You are on player duties this week. And because there's only two of us, that means I'm on club duties. So, let's see how far we get. Who have you got as the player to kick us off? I'm going to start with Nicholas Anelka. Well, plenty to choose from there. Um, I will go with... Do I go? Do I be a prick or do I go... No, I'll go Liverpool. Ooh, I thought you were going to go with uh, Bolton at one point. There, and that's right? the, that was the first team that popped into my head, and that was like, oh, do I be a prick? So um, I'm going to keep it open for a bit. I'm going to go Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch, Tottenham. Jermaine Defoe. Portsmouth. Carnu. Arsenal. Dennis Bergkamp. Ajax. Daily Blind. Man United. Yeah, bring it back to the Premier League. Um, Rio <laughs> Ferdinand. Leeds. Harry Kuehl. Liverpool. Jamie Carragher. <laughs> Everton. <laughs> Bullshit. We'd have been going on forever <laughs> if we carried that on, wouldn't we? So. <laughs> Would have been. That's fair, mate. That's fair. But uh, we've got to say, sure, that makes us the strongest of the two. Maybe some, one week we try and do a, a, a tag team lawyer man, us versus Sam and Kemp. No doubt Kemp will uh, let Sam down uh, somewhere down the line. But Mario anyway. Melchior, mate. He still doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. You should have said him when uh, when Chelsea was born. No, it weren't brought up today, was it? So it uh, couldn't have been said. But anyway, that's loyal man. We'll be back, obviously, with a full squad next week and we'll see who, uh, who lets their train down. But uh, to kick us off this
this week, unbelievable as always, is uh, Arsenal versus Tottenham Hotspur, the North London derby, kicking off Super Sunday this past Sunday, conveniently enough, um, at the Emirates, finishing 2-2. Now, my very quick thoughts were Arsenal in the first half seemed to be pretty confident and the better team. Um, and Spurs, sort of when Declan Rice went off, I think was a, a big sort of ter- turning point in the game. That last 20 minutes looked like they could or maybe even should have gone on to get a winner. But overall, honours even, two apiece. What do you think? We spoke about last week in episode 69 about the, the starts that the two teams have had. Do you think that a draw was fair and a share of the spoils? Yeah, I think a lot of people, myself included, went into this game thinking that Arsenal were going to be the favourites and maybe even walk away with all three points, you know, being the home side as well. But like you've been branding it all season, Ange Ball seems to be something that Tottenham have really adapted to. I don't um, want to take credit for that. That is a widely <laughs> coined term. I don't want to act like I've phrased, uh, you know, I've, I've put that out there in the, in the universe. And, you know, a lot of people have been writing Tottenham off. And as we said last week, you know, when it's Derby Day, the, you know, the odds are off, the, the form book goes out the window. And I think... That penalty that Arsenal got, I think in some instances, I dare say that you might not even have seen that given. I know that sounds bad to say, but that's how inconsistent it's been this year. But either way, you've still got to score the penalty. Uh, Saka stood up and did what he did best and scored it. Of course, Tottenham, the Masters of their own downfall, an unfortunate penalty, but also I think it was an own goal, the first goal, wasn't it? It was given as in the end. It wasn't uh, given as Saka's. So yeah, the own goal, but... You know, they've shown character, they've shown uh, fight and determination and they, they fought back on more than one occasion. And, the, you know, Arsenal were still celebrating, taking a 2-1 lead by the time that Son brought it back to two apiece. And that guy, when he's in form, is in form and he's one of the best players in the Premier League. And I know Mudge said that, you know, he's probably up there after Haaland and, you know, an unfit De Bruyne. He's up there as one of, if not the best player in the Premier League at the moment. I don't know if you agree with uh, the Son comment. Is right up there, mate. Would I put him as as the the best? No, I think he's he's just a shade underneath. If we're talking elite, I'd say Son's world class, but I think elite is just that maybe that top top tier. So yeah, I'm happy to put him world class. Maybe just a, around sort of the the top. Well, just outside the top five, maybe for overall individual players in Lee, but a fantastic player nonetheless. I will say this for Spurs, though. I know before the season started, we all gave our top four predictions. And I think with the whole Harry Kane talk, I thought if he plays for Tottenham, you know, they get a top six finish. If he doesn't play for Tottenham, they get a mid-table to bottom half. And I think you might have, it was either Tottenham or Newcastle, you said, gets a bottom half finish. Newcastle I outside the to be top in this eight, situation. Yeah. But the character, the form that they're showing at the moment shows me that they could actually be a side that could break into this top four. And, you know, that's the beauty of this sport sometimes. The unknown can become a bit of a a thing, can't it? Tottenham, of course, nobody expected them to be performing the way they have been doing, especially with the departure of the only prolific goal scorer they've really had over the last couple of years. You've needed somebody else to step up. They haven't really replaced him. Maybe that'll come in January. But I think Tottenham look like a side that could be fighting for that top four position. And I'll admit and hold my hands up and say that, you know, before the season started, when I said they weren't, I was wrong. Yeah, and, and look, again, we, we always say, or, or Kemp is very quick to say how early into the season we are and anything can happen. There's still, what, 32 games to go in the Premier League, which anything literally can happen between now and that 32nd game of what's left. But um, just looking at the table, currently sitting in fourth place out of the six games they've played. They've won four and drawn two, so they are currently undefeated, uh, scoring 15 goals, which is is a joint third behind Man City on 16 and Brighton, who have scored the most so far this season, on 18. So uh, they're scoring goals. They're conceding some as well, conceded seven, which is, you know, in and around a lot of teams that have, have conceded 
a lot of teams have conceded a similar amount. Um, eight uh, plus eight goal difference, which is good enough for fourth in in terms of the league as well, and they're four points off of the top. Uh, behind Man City. So a very positive start. Of course, a lot of people started to write them off when Harry Kane left. But having seen quite a bit of content from Ange when he was the Celtic manager and and things like that, it's clear that he's a phenomenal man manager. But also, I do think his coaching and and how he gets his his teams to play football does go under the radar a little bit because the focus is on how he conducts himself in interviews, team talks that have been put out in in the media in the past. And that's the kind of content that has gone viral. But if you watch Tottenham play, they are a very, very good team to watch, a very entertaining team to watch as well. And you see... That, that performance against Arsenal, they could have quite easily, that could have been the first bottle job of, of the season. Sheffield United, where they were 1-0 down deep into injury time and then 1-1 even deeper into injury time and still managed to win, shows the spirit. And, and of course, that, that big game against Man United, their first home game of the season, they dominated that game and, and made Man United look even worse than what they already have been this season, which we, we have documented enough already. So, yeah, a credit to Tottenham in the, in the first six games and, and a, of course, a massive credit to what Ange has done. Completely agree with your point about strikers. Have they replaced Harry Kane? No. Could they replace Harry Kane? I also think no as well, but Richarlison's been dropped for the last couple of games. He's led with Brennan Johnson, who they signed from Forest in the summer. So, it, it to me, does that say he's fully confident with Richarlison as the main man leading the line? I don't think so. So could they potentially look to spend some of that Harry Kane money in the summer? Quite possibly, because that could be the difference in the second half of the season between them being in and around that top four and really pushing on in that second half of the season to secure Champions League football next year. I do have a question for you on the back of this, because while we're talking about Tottenham, They've got a revolving door of managers, of course, over the last couple of years. We've seen many come in and many go out as well. And everybody said they need one manager just to be able to, you know, steady the ship. From what you've seen of Tottenham this year, would you consider the ship settled? Yes, with the asterisks of very early doors. But yes, 100%. And a lot of people did write him off very early on because he was coming from the Scottish Premier League. Despite the success with Celtic, we know how much stick they get in terms of the, the perceived difference in quality but again I'd, I'd seen quite a lot of his content before it's clear as I've mentioned already he's a fantastic man manager and it, it seems you, you watch pre-match interviews you watch post-match interviews after a great result it looks like the team are really really buying into his philosophy and what he wants to do so yeah as he steadied the ship yes but again anything can happen but yeah definitely the early signs as a Tottenham fan you've got to feel confident about the team's future but uh, yeah, fair enough. We'll come back to Tottenham very shortly because they've got another big game this upcoming weekend. Uh, and the team they're playing is is a team I do want to discuss with you very quickly to get your thoughts on. That's Liverpool. So again, we're what a month and a half or so into the new Premier League season. We've spoken quite a bit about Man City because of the start they've had. We've spoken a bit about Arsenal considering the the finish the last season and the start this season. We, of course, have spoken a lot about Tottenham last week and in other weeks we've spoken plenty about Manchester United and Chelsea with their sort of position in the league and the league and the difference between that. But we discussed and the thing that I put in the agenda was Ali going under the radar and that's Liverpool, as I mentioned just there. Currently sat in second place. They have won five and drawn one of their six games so far, scoring 15 and conceding only five, just two points behind Man City. They've completely rebuilt their um, midfield in the summer. Fabinho and Jordan Henderson moving to Saudi Arabia. James Milner moving to Brighton on a free as well. They've brought in... Uh, 
who they brought in, sorry, Endo, um, McAllister from Brighton, and then Zoblowski. Terrible, but you know what I mean. So they've rebuilt the midfield, and the, the early signs for them, we're talking about steadying ships. They did look like they were falling off a little bit of a cliff and lacking that youth and energy last year. Are they? I'm just going to give you the question. Are they going under the radar with their performances so far this season with everyone else looking and talking about elsewhere? No, I don't think they're going under the radar. I think they've had a relatively easy start to the season in terms of opposition strength. Um, You always talk about in the NFL about uh, strength of schedule. I think for Liverpool, it's been a quite steady start. You know, they got a point away from home against a, dare I say, at best mid-table Chelsea side, a side that's currently in a rebuild and really struggling to get themselves fighting in the top half on a regular basis. They beat Bournemouth 3-1. I think the toughest game probably comes the 2-1 win away against Newcastle that happened uh, back in August. I'm looking at the games in September. They've won 3-1 at home to West Ham. They've won 3-1 away against Wolves and they've won 3-0 at home to Aston Villa. Granted, they're scoring goals and there is the odd one where they're conceding. But those are sides that you know, you'd expect Liverpool to be. There's a lot of sides in this Premier League that you'd expect to uh, to walk over some of them sides. West Ham, I think, have had a bit of form, but Liverpool, of course, upsetting the rhythm for them a little bit. But... No, I don't think they're going under the radar because they've not really faced anybody, you know, that's informed that it's a very strong side. They've not faced a Man City and Arsenal or Tottenham yet. So this weekend, like you've just said, facing Tottenham, I think will be the real big test. And ask me again next week if you think Liverpool are going under the radar after they've maybe got three points against Tottenham. And I'll, I'll have a different answer for you. But at the moment, I'd say no, because those sides that they've faced are at best mid-table sides. Uh, absolutely fair point I think off the back of that and yeah you're absolutely right they're travelling to Tottenham um, this Saturday half five kickoff, and then their fixture the weekend after that is away at Brighton as well so would you consider that a, a test with Brighton's success or overall do you not consider them a team that should be taking points potentially off of uh, I don't. I think Brighton are a difficult one because they're a side that you could. You don't know what Brighton side you're going to get. Sometimes you can get a Brighton side that you know is in absolutely spot on form and is playing scintillating stuff. And you know it's tough to get anything against Manchester United. Saw that near the beginning of the season. Or you could be playing a Brighton side that you know when they faced West Ham they didn't look up for the races. They didn't look at it at all, and West Ham took all three points from them. So it really depends on what Brighton side you're going to go up against. They're a very hit and miss side. And it's difficult to put an exact pin on where it's going wrong for Brighton in areas because, you know, sometimes you can watch them and think, how are these not Champions League contenders? You know, back when they had the likes of uh, Trossard and now they've got players like Evan Ferguson coming through, Mitoma, you know, Estupignon, players there that, you know, are actually carrying this this Brighton side. You think these are a side with a lot of potential. And like you've already picked up on many a times, they've got quite a good youth set up that's bringing these players through. So I think against Liverpool, it is going to be very difficult for them. Um, sorry, for Liverpool against Brighton, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to kind of prepare for them. Because I think Brighton sometimes can be the best team in the Premier League, but at times can be one of the worst. Yeah, I completely agree. But I suppose we'll get to that at the point of next week in episode 71 when the lads are back. And it'll be interesting to hear their thoughts on how Liverpool are doing so far this season. But uh, I suppose, again, come back to this weekend. We are talking about the fixture. Tottenham versus Liverpool. What is your prediction? Are you thinking that Tottenham are going to carry on their unbeaten run? It is two unbeaten teams. So is it going to be a draw or is one team going to win the other team's undefeated streak that has started the season? Um. This weekend, you mean? Yeah, Tottenham-Liverpool. Tottenham-Liverpool, sorry, yeah. I don't know where I've got Newcastle from. Tottenham-Liverpool, yeah. Um, I think this weekend it will be... 
I, 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 it's got draw screaming out, isn't it? The two sides that will just cancel each other out. But I think I'd probably fancy Liverpool to put an end to Tottenham's unbeaten start. You know, I think although it's away from home and Spurs might have that home advantage, I think for Liverpool it's just a case of you know grab an early goal and you can never bet against that front three that is built. You know, when uh, Mane left, when Firmino left, the questions were, what are Liverpool going to do in attack now? They've got Mo Salah, but they've got nobody supporting cast. But now you look at Jota, you look at Nunes, uh, you look at the players that they brought in and you think this is a very strong forward three and I think Tottenham are really going to have some problems at the back. I don't know, what's your thoughts? I'm really struggling with this one because I'm fully invested in, as you said earlier, Ange Ball and, and what Tottenham are doing. They do have home advantage, but I'll go back against you slightly. And I do think Liverpool are going on the radar. Granted, they've, they've probably not played stronger te- a stronger team as others have this season, but they've still got to win those games. And I think that's the difference this year. Last season, they weren't winning those games, which led to that drop-off. Um, but again, committing to a result, I'm going to go 2-1 Tottenham which just goes against everything that I just said. But again, we're putting on any two results. So yeah, 2-1 to Tottenham, home advantage, and they carry on. 1-0 Liverpool. 1-0. 1-0. Okay, there we go. 1-0 Liverpool, 2-1 Spurs. Let's see. And no doubt it will be a a bore-bore, 0-0 draw. And uh, we'll have to try and get some kind of conversation out of everyone next week to talk through it. But that's football. Again, we're not going to go too much into things this week. We just wanted to discuss a couple of little points um, and of course preview very briefly the main game from this weekend Saturday 5.30 kickoff so enjoy your enjoy your three o'clock and get your feet up uh, ready for that big one so on to Formula 1 Adam Japan Grand Prix the earliest start in the F1 calendar alongside Las Vegas which is obviously a new race coming up in November but the earliest uh, start in the F1 calendar a 6am race start on the Sunday Going to assume you didn't watch it live, but Red Bull are now, yet again, Constructors' champions. Talk us through what happened last Sunday. Yeah, it's just been the inevitable finally getting over the line, isn't it, for Red Bull? We thought last weekend that we might actually start to see a bit more competition at the front of the grid. That uh, excitement lasted all but seven days when Max Verstappen once again got to the front of the uh, grid for the race, having finished first in qualifying, followed by... McLaren in second and third. Now, I called a McLaren getting second place with Max Verstappen in first, but I did not call a McLaren getting in third place. And we seem one of those sides at the moment that, or one of those teams that are just so inconsistent, it's unbelievable. With McLaren, you don't get a mid-table side. You either get a side that's fighting at the back of the grid or a side that's fighting at the front of the grid, and it makes absolutely no sense where we're getting all this from. So it's good to see us back at the front. You know, I was excited to watch the highlights. I didn't get to watch the race live. Like you say, it was 6am, and I was preparing myself for seven hours of commercial-free football, so I had to sleep in on Sunday. But when I got to see some of the highlights, you know... It was a very quick start from McLaren. We we kept as good as we, we gave as good as we got to the Red Bulls. We just again didn't have the pace, and I think it speaks volumes of just how good Max Verstappen is so far ahead. And I think it's this weekend, sorry, next weekend, the next race is where he can win the uh, drivers' championship, isn't it? If he wins the race, or if he finishes second, and Perez finish, or if he finishes right. sixth he, or something, if Perez can... finishes first. So the race is in Qatar, and it is a sprint race, and he can actually win it um, in the sprint. I think I think I saw earlier if he finishes in the top six in the sprint, it doesn't matter where anyone else finishes, he'll win the championship. So we could, for the first time ever, crown a world champion during the sprint race. And again, like I said, the permutation being that he needs to finish in the top six, you've got to, at this point, assume that 
that is going to happen that we will crown a world champion in a sprint race based on that. Yeah, and I think either way, Max Verstappen is going to win this championship. It, look, everybody knows it, don't they? It's already pretty much set in stone. So everyone is preparing themselves for next season. Hopefully a much closer battle. But what do you think that teams actually really need to improve on, other than speed naturally, to be able to compete with the Red Bulls? You know, Ferrari have picked up the strategies. McLaren have picked up their pace. But still, you know, Lando, I'm just looking at the stats now. Lando finished 20 seconds behind Verstappen. Piastri, 36 seconds behind Piastri, uh, Verstappen. You know, whilst they're finishing second and third place, and that's all great, you're still some some distance off the leader. And consistently doing that might help you for the constructors. But Lando and Piastri, they might be there for the constructors now, but you ask a, t- a driver, they're going to want the driver's championship or at least be competing for the driver's championship, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's hard for me to answer your original question because you know I'm, I'm in no by no means an expert when it comes to the engineering side what they need to do it's not just about the speed is it it's about the corners we speed we see often in the speed traps that, that the stats that are released how often is it a car that tends to be towards the bottom of the grid that actually leads that speed track so it's not necessarily about that it's it's downforce it's everything else really as well as the quality of the driver of course as well so I really don't know. But again, we've spoken about a few times about the, the improvements with McLaren. Like I said, another second and third is phenomenal progress from them. Uh, Mercedes have been there or thereabouts. Singapore, they should have had second and third as well up until that uh, late crash from George Russell. Ferrari, of course, have improved as well a little bit lately with uh, Sainz um, winning uh, in Singapore. So, uh, yeah, th- there is hope. But again... Red Bull just seem like they're in just a different stratosphere at the moment, don't they? So do I think the championship next season could be closer? Yes, but it takes a lot of people get, getting their jobs right and Red Bull potentially dropping off a little bit as well because I don't think the level of Red Bull are currently at, I'm not sure how people get to that level. I do think it is a bit of as much them dropping off as other people improving as well. I do have a question for you about next season. We've no, we're at the point now where a lot of teams are confirming, you know, who they've got for next season. We know that Lando and Piastri are going to remain at McLaren. And the one I want to ask you about is Liam Lawson. He's joined AlphaTauri yeah. as a replacement for Daniel Ricciardo, who joined as a replacement early on in the season. Of course, I think he broke his wrist, didn't he? In the end, it was classed as broken wrist, so he can't drive at the moment. Yeah. Liam Lawson's come in. What do you think of how he's adapted into Formula One? Do you think there's potential for a seat here for him next season? Not necessarily with AlphaTauri, but in Formula One. Yeah, definitely. He's he's kind of put himself on the map, and I'm sure on the radar of quite a few teams. I, I have seen. I don't know if you've seen, but every single spot bar one is filled for next season. Drivers have confirmed they're staying, signed contracts, extensions, and all that kind of stuff. So the only spot currently that is uh, free is alongside Alex Albon at Williams. So is that a spot him and Albon, two young drivers, uh, potentially just again battling for that sort of middle of the park? Absolutely, and he has to, he has deserved it. Very doubtful that he'll be at AlphaTauri next season with uh, Ricardo re-signing and, and due to stay with them next year. So, yeah, in the short time he's been there, definitely put himself on the map with a few teams. And I, I suppose could be uh, could be in the conversations at Williams for who fills that second spot because it, they don't necessarily have to bring someone in that hasn't shown they can race in F1. He's proven that he can do a, well a pretty decent job, which I think that's what he's done. 
Yeah, and Williams are known for that, aren't they? I mean, you look at where George Russell came from. Alex Albon was given a second chance. You know, they've had plenty of people. I think Nick DeVries also raced there at some point as well. You know, Williams are known for bringing through these drivers at the moment that are allowed to, you know, apply their trade and, and move on to bigger teams. They're almost like a, um, what, what's the word for it? Like a feeder team at the moment, aren't they, for some of these teams? So, yeah, I think it's realistic to think, it's a good yeah. shout that Liam Lawson could be racing for Williams next season alongside Alex Albon. I think Albon's now at the point where he's got a little bit of experience behind him, so he might be able to help uh, Lawson make that adaptation into Formula One and hopefully at the ground running and uh, get some good points finishes for Williams because they're no longer the side that, you know, are at the back of the grid all the time. They're starting to fight for some points here and there and be a bit more competitive. Yeah, definitely, mate. So uh, we've not got a race this upcoming weekend, so nothing to uh, preview there. But as I did mention earlier, Qatar next weekend with the potential of Max in the sprint race being crowned the world champion. So we will no doubt in episode 71 sit down and discuss that. And I can't really at this point see any other outcome than uh, us predicting Max becomes world champion a week on Saturday. What about you? No, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm probably not going to go with the Saturday. I'd like to think that it's going to be at the end of the race. But, you know, with sprint race giving points out, it's it's pretty much set in stone, isn't it? Max Verstappen will be uh, driver's champion. And then, of course, we've got a couple of months of needless racing. But what it does give is no... Uh, we do, you know, mate. Drivers, we do. Drivers can then go out there and, you know, with the cars, fight for their places, but also try different things with the cars, knowing there's not really too much detriment for them. You know, any sort of changes that teams are wanting to make in, in preparation for next season can maybe be trialled a little bit cheekily. You know, there's these opportunities that do come available for, for teams. As spectators, it's going to be quite boring, but as teams, there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. And, and we know, despite whatever happens this weekend, or probably before that, but uh, we know Las Vegas should be a spectacle, if anything else, and, and something to watch. So at least that'll uh, be something to look forward to over the next couple of months, should Max secure the championship in the debut race in Qatar next weekend. But episode 71, we'll preview it. And of course, episode 72, we will review it. And if Max is champion, we'll chat about it. And if not, we'll just count down the days until he is, because <laughs> we know it's just a matter of uh, when and not if. But that's Formula One for another week. Uh, NFL, Adam. It was the week of the underdog in week three of the 2023 season. I'm going to give you a few results here that uh, where teams won that um, with the bookmakers were classed as the underdogs. Indianapolis Colts beat the Baltimore Ravens. Green Bay Packers beat the New Orleans Saints. Houston Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Arizona Cardinals, in probably the biggest upset, uh, upset of the week and the season so far, beat the Dallas Cowboys. Does that, as a viewer... Not necessarily also taking into account fantasy, uh, <laughs> fantasy implications and all that kind of stuff. But as a viewer who's sitting down and watching Red Zone, who's watching the late games and everything at the same time, do underdogs winning make for a great product and a great sport and ultimately really open up the, the National Football League and who could have a deep playoff run? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, I looked at some of the standings um, after the games on Sunday and thought, you know, this is quite close between a lot of teams. We're unfortunate that we've got Sam Fran in ours, who, of course, are. are batting it out of the park at the moment, you know, runs every week. But, you know, some of these teams, the Cowboys had started really well and people were thinking, hang on, are these a team that, you know, could quite go down quite deep into the playoffs? There's been lots of talk about Dak not being up to it in the playoffs, you know, Pollard's in physique. They've lost a couple of pieces on defence. I think Diggs is now out for the season. So to lose to the Cardinals, who a lot of people have tipped to taking Caleb Williams number one overall um, at the end of this season, there's always going to be that sort of, you know, anybody can be anybody 
in this sport, it's not a, a given that the Cowboys are going to out there and beat the Cardinals. And it raises questions heading into this week, of course, where the Cardinals um, have another tough game. So, you know, that's one. The Colts beating the Ravens, for me, I was quite surprised by it. I thought the Ravens would have enough to see the Colts off. You know, without Jonathan Taylor, their run game is pretty much pointless. And I think in the passing game, they don't seem to be able to utilise it enough. Um so I think, yeah, that's a bit of a surprise to me. The one I was surprised that was an underdog was that the Green Bay Packers beat uh, the New Orleans Saints. I personally thought the Packers would have been the favourites in that game, even when the book is. Um, they've got no Aaron Jones, but AJ Dillon's already proven that he can be a very useful source at running back. You know, the Saints were without Jamal Williams. They were at the time without Alvin Kamara. Of course, they lost Derek Carr partway through that game. But when they got Derek Carr, they didn't really look like a force at all, did they? They looked like they were struggling to really gain some sort of offence and managed to pluck themselves 17 points up from out of nowhere. And Green Bay looked like they were struggling just as much on their own offensive side of things. I don't know what changed for them other than Jameis Winston coming in that really turned the book for them. But before the game started, for me, Green Bay were the favourites in that. And I'd have them as the favourites going into Thursday night as well against um, the Lions. Um, and that's going to be a difficult one to call. I know you you obviously really like the Lions this season, but I think it's going to be uh, close, but I'd have Green Bay as the favourite now. And what's the other game that you mentioned? Uh, the Texans beating the Jags. That's absolutely outrageous. How the Texans managed to do anything in football at the moment is crazy for me. Um, but yeah, you know, the Jags, everyone had down, you know, with the signing of uh, Calvin Ridley. They traded for him, didn't they? Of course, Trevor Lawrence had that year in the the uh, NFL, and everyone thought, you know, now he's starting to come into his own a little bit. Christian Kirk, one of the highest paid wide receivers at one point, I think, wasn't he? Um, last season when he signed the contract with uh, the Jaguars, Travis Etienne, their offense is, you know, very very strong. Evan Engram as well, another piece that you know he seems to be utilized quite a bit. What do the Texans have? CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud, yeah, and that Will Anderson it. as well. Who uh, by pretty a lot of accounts has had a fantastic start to the season. He, he had blocked, a blocked punt he, as well. Yeah, blocked a punt, didn't he, at one point yeah. as well, which of course is game changing in itself. So yeah, you know the top, the second and third overall picks really coming into their own for the Texans and showing what they can do against the Jaguars. For me, that one was a foregone conclusion. It was one of the first ones I put down on my accumulator. I thought the Jaguars were easily going to get away with this. I thought, you know, in fantasy football, I've got Calvin Ridley in a couple of leagues, and I thought you know what, Calvin Ridley's going to do bits here. And he didn't. I think he finished on about six, seven points. And that's quite poor for a PPR league. So it just goes to show how little he actually managed to get done. But I think, yeah, credit to the Texans. They fought valiantly and managed to get an upset win against the Jaguars. But now they'll they'll see that as something they can build on as well, won't they? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And you, you mentioned there about the Jags. I think if we were still doing our locks and stuff, there they might have been a few arguments over wanting Jags as uh, as the team last week for the locks. Because, yeah, that, that was a big upset alongside, of course, that uh, Arizona Cardinals beating Dallas Cowboys result. So uh, one team that weren't an underdog in victory last week, but uh, last weekend, but certainly deserved some kind of discussion. The Miami Dolphins. 70 points they put on the board. 10 offensive touchdowns against the Denver Broncos, uh, becoming only the third team in history to put 70 points on the board during a game. Their running backs went off. Tua went off and is now currently the MVP favourite with the bookmakers. Tyreek, another phenomenal game. They did it without Jalen Waddell, who, who was struggling with injury. I mean, we, we had the discussion a couple of weeks ago after week one when Lions beat Kansas City, but are the Miami Dolphins a genuine and serious contender in the AFC, having put up 70 points against a team considered to be 
a team that should and, and probably would make the playoffs. Serious contenders for the playoffs? Yes. Um, I swear that some of the Miami Dolphins players must sleep on treadmills to have that sort of fitness. It's absolutely out of this world. Tyreek Hill is superhuman to be able to do the stuff that he does. So, yeah, I think the Dolphins are serious uh, playoff contenders. Super Bowl contenders? I think it's tough. I think when the Bengals are, are in their form, it's very difficult to beat them. I don't think the Dolphins have a defence that could probably find an answer for Patrick Mahomes yet. Um, and, of course, they'll have to get past the Bills, who I know don't seem to have the best playoff form, but you've got three teams there that I've just named off the top of my head that are going to be quite close competition for the Dolphins should they get to the Super Bowl. Um, what did frustrate me is, I can't understand this. From a, I'm going to tell you from a fantasy perspective, right? I started, in, and it lost me the game, the only team right. in the NFL to finish on minus points, and that was the Jaguars' defence, finished on minus four points. The Broncos' defence, that gave up 70 points, still finished on two points in the fantasy football. So that's an achievement within itself. But taking nothing away from the Dolphins, you know, Mostert and is it a chain, a Carney, a, a Charney, whatever he wants to be known as. You H know, Chan. I think they got, what was it, two, was it two or three or maybe even four touchdowns each, wasn't it, in that game? You know, they ran the ball um, and Broncos didn't have an answer for it. They passed the ball and Broncos didn't have an answer for it. And, you know, if you're in Denver at the moment, even when they were on offense themselves, they didn't look like they were going to upset the Dolphins at all. You know, Russell Wilson, a, a clear veteran of the league at the moment, uh, Javante Williams, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, they, they've got a little bit of offense going, but the Dolphins were just too strong for them on both sides of the ball. By the time that Russell Wilson really got into stride, the game was already out of sight. And it amazed me that the Dolphins left the likes of Tyreek and Tua on the field for as long as they did. You know, I think Mahomes came off the field at 31 for the Chiefs against the Bears. So I was surprised that Tua stayed on as long as he had done. But, you know, that bloke has spent the entire offseason in the gym, strengthening himself up. Of course, last season he was out quite a bit with concussion protocols. So to see him be able to come back and just continue lighting up the league the way that he is doing, I would love to see the Miami Dolphins in the Super Bowl. But I just don't think the defence is quite strong enough. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. But again, it could just be a case of outscoring them, couldn't it, with uh, with the start they've had. But yeah, 70 points. We're not going to see that again this season or probably for a very, very long time. Maybe not even in our lifetime. That's how much for anyone that's watching that doesn't really follow NFL. That's how crazy that is. Like We may never see that again in our lifetime and probably won't. What's your thoughts? Because I've mentioned it and I'm like an, an outsider looking in, being a, an NFC team supporter, you know, focusing on the Seahawks more than anything. They're in your division. And of course, although it might be a long shot thinking that you guys are going to compete in the playoffs this year, you know some of the sides better than me of who they're going to be going up against. What's your thoughts? I think you'd be stupid to not consider them a serious contender. Bengals, we spoke about last week and the tough start that they've had. I had them as my Super Bowl champions in our preseason picks, but they've not started great. Did get their first win of the season in Monday Night Football against uh, the Rams. Jets, I had them winning the division in our preseason picks, but now I, I'll, I think they'll finish bottom. We're, we're not even at week four, and I've gone from they're going to win the division based on what I think. They've lost Aaron Rodgers, and I now think they'll finish bottom because that's how much of a difference that will make, in my opinion, with how tough that division is. So Bills, again, very good team. They haven't been great this season. They had a bit. They, they were much better this past Sunday against the Washington Commanders. But despite their good start, I think at some point they were going to sort of drop off a little bit. But we've seen how they can struggle in the playoffs in the biggest moments in the biggest games. So 
Chiefs are the Chiefs, and we just know they will get better and better and better as the as the season goes on. And they are, are of course, the team to beat in the AFC. But yeah, I think again that, that the rest of the pack, you, you, you again, like I mentioned there, your Bills, uh, your Bengals, and other teams that are, are sort of in and around that. Dolphins are right up there with them, so you've got to consider them a potential for that uh, that Super Bowl spot. Absolutely. I think maybe the wide receivers set it apart. You know, Patrick Mahomes has got. Tony, there was a lot of talk about how he couldn't catch the ball and, and Valdez Scantling, but his primary target is Travis Kelsey. Whereas, you know, Tua, he's got a lot of options everywhere. He's got running yeah. back options. He's got Tyreek. He's got Waddle, by far the quickest one, two in the NFL at the moment. Do you think maybe it's the wide receivers that separates the two apart? Yeah, definitely. Tyreek is just an elite, elite, elite wide receiver. A definitely top five if we're assuming everyone's fit and healthy in the conversation to be in the top three in and amongst your Cups, your Jeffersons, your Jamar Chases. So, yeah, definitely. Jalen Waddle is the number two in that offence. I think maybe 28, 29 other teams in the league, he'd be the number one receiver for that team. So to have someone of that level as your number two receiver says it all. Mark McDaniels is phenomenal at scheme in the running game. We saw that this past week and we saw it at times last season as well when Tua was fit and, and playing. He really opens up the offence. So, yeah, I think with the coaching staff they got, the level and the calibre of players they've got, they're well within a chance. And you're absolutely right. That one-two wide receiver just, just sets them apart because I don't think, other than maybe an Eagles with AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, I don't know who's got a strong one, as strong a one-two. But even then, I would still put Dolphins ahead of them for that. As much as my heart wants to say DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I do want to give an honorary mention out there to Jamar Chase and T Higgins. I feel Higgins yeah. could be a number one wide receiver um, in a lot of teams. And I think that Jamar Chase obviously is at the Bengals. I also think there's points and arguments for, you know, Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. Yeah. I think Gabe Davis proved in different areas last season that he could be a number one wide receiver. So yeah, there's some good ones, but I think uh, the best number two at the moment for me is Jalen Waddle. You're right. Yeah. Have to agree with that. So we're going to do a few predictions for week four. And if you do think any of them will score 70 points, obviously feel free to put it out there and put it on record. But we're going to start with Thursday Night Football, a game you very briefly mentioned. It's a shame that Sam isn't joining us this week. He's already mentioned that he's off on Friday due to going away. So we'll be up and watching live a huge division game. Green Bay Packers facing the Detroit Lions team, who I fancy to go very far. And I think so far, I, I, I think I can say... Like they could pay off on that bold prediction. They have started the season very, very well, including that win at Arrowhead in week one. So Packers versus Lions, Packers, bit of confidence having come from behind. Jordan Love has started fantastically well, as we know. Who do you think gets the win in Thursday night football? I think this is going to be very close, but I'm going to edge it towards Green Bay. Um, they got a nice little win against the Saints. I think they lost week two against uh, the Falcons, but one week they one did, against the, the Bears, if second, I remember. Last second field goal, yeah. I'm not going to count anything against the Bears because I reckon me, you, Sam and Kemp could go and do a job against the Bears at the moment. They're that bad. <laughs> so and it's all come from Sam saying they're going to win everything. So there you go. Do with that what you will. Um, I think... He knew what he was doing. Can we put like can we put that on record that surely he knew what he was doing with he that? He knew exactly what he was doing at that point, yeah. yeah. Justin Fields has not done anything since he got told who's going to be MVP so <laughs> there we go um, yeah for me I think 
there's rumours going around that um, against the Saints, there was no Aaron Jones and there was no Watson, but they were just uh, strategic decisions to keep them out of the game to make sure they are fit and healthy for a, a quick turnover, of course, from Sunday to Thursday night football to face the Lions because division games, as Sam told me yesterday, you know, we know it already. They mean much more, don't they? They could have much more of an impact on standings come the end of the season. So the return of Aaron Jones and Watson and, of course, Jordan Love, He's been really building some confidence, and I, I think he's he's a very good number one quarterback for Green Bay. You know, there's always that question of is he going to be good enough? Do they need to find somebody else? At the moment, there's nothing that I've seen that makes me think you know they need to find somebody to replace him. He's a very good quarterback that uh, within Green Bay, I think could lead to a very good career. Um, the Lions, it's very difficult because they're good, but then they don't reach their potential often enough. We beat them in overtime, and I think they had plenty of opportunities to finish the game off. They should have put us to the sword, and we should have gone 0-2, but they didn't, and they just didn't manage to get over the line, and I, th I think that's what's going to let them down against Green Bay. What about you? Well, uh, as, usually is the, as usually is the case with loaded sport, we're going to spear right down the middle because I'm going to go with the Lions. I think they've been great this season. Yes, you're absolutely right. That one loss that they did have against your boys, they they could and should have won that and, and but then didn't in overtime with that walk-off touchdown by uh, Tyler Lockett. So I'm going to stick with the Lions. I've got them going, what, three and one? That will make them. Um, and it'll put Packers on a, a, a respectable two and two. And I think... I think actually Packers could be in a shout for, for claiming one of them wildcard spots with how they've started. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Lions for that one. Um, on to Sunday, the, the big game is the first London game of the season. Uh, Jags versus Falcons. Jags playing their 10th game in London. They've They've kind of become London's team with how often they come over, coming over once every single year. They're over here twice this year. Uh, this week against the Falcons and then later in the year against the Bills at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So it's a half-two kickoff. So if you fancy it, Aggie, it's a uh, it's a full day of NFL watching that, and then Red Zone, and then, of course, the late games. But uh, Jags versus Falcons, two teams that have probably done the opposite of what people expect them to. Falcons have been very respectable in their performances so far this season, despite a lot of people expecting them to struggle. And Jags have struggled, especially, as we mentioned last weekend, against the Texans, where a lot of people had them going quite well in the AFC. I, I saw, actually, a few write-ups where people had them as the number one seed in the AFC once the season was done. So, yeah, two teams that have, have gone against the grain with a lot of opinions. So, Jags versus Falcons at Wembley, that half-two kickoff. Who have you got winning that one? It's tough because I've just been looking at the stats thinking, oh, who's the home side? Who can I give this to? Well, the Jags haven't lost away and the Falcons haven't lost at home. So do with that what you will. I thought the Falcons... Does it count really if it's struggled. at a neutral, uh, neutral stadium? I'm going to give it the advantage to the away team and I'm going to go with the Jaguars. I think this, the absolute embarrassment that they got at the hands of the Texans will give them hunger and desire to do better. And they know they're better and they need to be better. Trevor Lawrence, for one, will be trying to rile them troops up, ready to go again. And against the Falcons, it is going to be difficult. You know, they've upset a lot of people's predictions this season. I think one of us might have had the Falcons. I had the Panthers and, of course, they're 0-3. So, again, my predictions mean for nothing. But the Falcons, I think, have really... The form's got to run out at some point. And I think, you know, a lucky win against Green Bay, a steady win against Green Bay, should I say, as well. I think it was that last-minute field goal, wasn't it, that you mentioned that got them over the line. Yeah. I think the Jaguars have enough firepower to see the Falcons out in this game and uh, get back to winning ways. Uh, it was me that picked the Falcons, by the way, to win the uh, NFC South in the preseason okay. predictions. Um, I'm also going to go with Jags. Completely agree. I think they've got 
they've got a team of players that are used to the travel, as I mentioned there with Jags um, coming over every year for the last 10 years. Obviously, not a lot of those players have done all 10 games, if any of them have, but a lot of them were over here last year and have travelled before. Um, and I just think with the experience that they've got with, within their coaching staff and the, and the success that they've got within the coaching staff, success doesn't come without failures and obstacles along the way. So I think they're perfectly placed to rebound from that, I think it's fair to say, embarrassing loss uh, in week three against the Texans and, and get back on track. Yeah. So yeah, I will go, I'll join you, we'll go with the Jags for that. Um, we're not going to cover any of the 6pm or late window with Sunday Night Football. And again, as I mentioned, it being a shame that Sam isn't here. It's also a shame that uh, Kemp isn't here this week because <laughs> the, game, uh, the last game of the week, the headliner in Monday Night Football is your Seattle Seahawks versus his New York Giants. So it would be really interesting to hear his thoughts after that embarrassing loss. Well, I say embarrassing, nobody really expected them to win, but uh, they didn't really offer much against the San Francisco 49ers in uh, in last week's Thursday Night Football. But uh, Seahawks, Giants, you are the representative here. I'll do my best to, to try and be Kemp and just shout, DJ is the GOAT and Giants are going to win by 30. <laughs> but being realistic, you put your realistic head on. Who have you got winning between you and Kemp in Monday Night Football? I realistically, as impartial, I'm going with the Seahawks. Um, and I mean that honestly. I know it's easy for me to be biased, but I think, like you say, the Giants haven't really offered anything on offence. Their one win this season has come against the Cardinals and they had to work their asses off for that because they fell behind in a ridiculous amount. By that point, if they do that against us, I think the game's out of sight. You know, our defence is only getting stronger at the moment. We started very slow on that, but now we've got Witherspoon back from injury. We've got Prez's back. Adams is due to start this week as well. So, you know, that's an experienced player who, he won't get us any interceptions, but he'll, he's very good at blitzing and he'll put pressure on the quarterback. And sometimes I think he just goes a little bit rogue to do that. But, you know, our, se our secondary is very strong. Their wide receivers are very weak, which means they're going to have to run the ball a lot. They haven't got Saquon, which means the run game is going to be uh, slowing down a little bit. And I think we're very good at putting pressure on the quarterbacks at the moment, especially with a steady O-line. So, you know, I think on the defence aspect of things, we're in a very good position. I think our O-line has really surprised a lot of people so far this season. We brought in Charles Cross a couple of years ago in the draft. We've got a very young, I think we've got one of the youngest O-lines in the entire league at the moment. So... Very inexperienced. We're getting a lot of penalties from that kind of thing as well. So I'm hoping that they can hold up and give Gino a little bit of time in the pocket. If DK's healthy enough, and I know he left the game last week with an injury, if he's healthy enough, we'll be good to go again. Lockett, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigby, you sent me a video earlier as well from Gino about, um, you know, riling up Smith and Jigby because he was having a slow game last week. And, you know, that's the sort of leadership that you need. Uh, Kenneth Walker and uh, Zach Charbonnet, absolutely ridiculous pairing at running back. I'll tell you what, the, the, the Zach Charbonnet angry run where he just absolutely flattened uh, that defensive player going into the end zone. Poor lad, he's probably still got a Bruce Stern and Mal. He's in week five. Him. He's not yeah. doing to week five. That guy's gone. But yeah, that's what I mean. So we've got a great pair of running backs there. And I thought at the time, you know, when we drafted Charbonnet, I thought, why do we need, you know, another running back? We've got Kenneth Walker. Yes, DJ Dallas isn't up to the task, but Walker is elite. He's one of the best running backs at the moment. In the in the NFL, I dare say. I know that's probably a bit out there to say, but that's me calling it. Um, and I think with Charbonnet complementing that, it gives Walker a break, but doesn't give us any detriment because whilst he's young, he's still a very good, like you said, he's a force. He's, he's a very 
is a very I don't know what the word is really to go with. You know, you've got your elusive enigma. running backs. You've got power, yeah, enigma, go with that. He's a power back, isn't he? Because he's just yeah. hitting people all over. So I like the little running back um, grouping that we've got at the moment. And I think just very quickly on that, I think that's a nice pairing to have. It, it's all well and good having two great running backs, but it's it's different to a wide receiver, isn't it? You you do want two different styles that you can scheme. Kenneth Walker is that elusive, speedy back who mm. can fit through holes and burst 20 yards downfield out of nowhere. Charbonnet is that kind of goal line, red zone, third and short kind of back, like you say, power back, inside run, plough it through. So it's great to have. You're absolutely right. What the the confusion at the time is why we spend the second round pick on a running back when we did that last year and and that paid off but I think it's really good to have that differential in styles because then you can game plan accordingly and you've got both options depending on where you're at on the field so it, it's proving to be quite a, an inspired pick so far you might know this better than me because of course you watched the sport back in 2013 or at least I think you did when we won the Super Bowl but yes yeah, we had yeah. Marshawn Lynch as the running back then but my understanding of what we did back then was we we had a very strong defence and we won the championship through the defence. But when we were on offence, we built through the run game. And to do that, you've yep. got to be have a very good running back. And I think while Chris Carson was was OK, he was very injury prone. Um, anyone before Chris Carson, I won't know because I've, I've not seen them yep. play. I only started watching during Chris Carson's time. Richard Penny only came into it after we decided not to give him his fifth-year option. So... Really, all I've managed to see is DJ Dallas, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet is the three running backs that we've really used. And I think this at the moment is, you know, we're, we're setting up the running game very well. We're opening up the passing play. We've got very good wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think Lockett's very underrated in some areas because of his age. I think people just overlook him and think, you know, he's he's not got it anymore. The bloke has, I think it was a stat not long ago. Every pass in his career that's gone towards him in the end zone, he's caught. He's never dropped one in the end zone. And that's an outrageous stat for somebody that's in his 30s now. So I think we're just, we'll be too strong for the Giants, I think, ultimately. And I, I I could see us winning by a comfortable amount. Put your name to a number that you would say is a comfortable amount. I think we're going to win 31-10. Oh, wow. So really comfortable. Then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they've got enough on offence. And I think with our defence coming back from injury, we're just getting stronger at the moment. I'm not going to say, you know, stupid things like we're going to go and win everything or, or anything like that. But come on, it's the bloody Giants. Fair enough. I am going to go with the Seahawks as well for a lot of the reasons that you've said already, but I do think it'll be a close game. Dogged Giants, I think, will will want to try and take advantage of it an easier, in quotes, um, matchup than they had against the 49ers. Uh, but I do think Hawks win by three, so I think it'll be a close game. Don't think it'll be a massively uh, a massive game in terms of points. I, I can see it being sort of a, a 17 13 or some 17 14 sorry or something like along those lines uh, and a close win for the Seahawks but it, it, that doesn't mean that I disagree with much of what you've said there I just think it looks like it's going to be one of those kinds of uh, of games um one uh, question that I was going to ask until sort of obviously we had to rearrange things but I just wanted to get people's thoughts on uh, Sam asked last week about surprising teams so far and I just wanted to get people's thoughts on on who they fancy for MVP Patrick Mahomes, you Josh Allen, you Joe Burrows are naturally favourites. Um, Tua, as I mentioned earlier when we were discussing the Dolphins, is the current bookies' favourite, and I think that's well deserved. But is there anyone potentially that you think is deserves to be in that conversation again, only three weeks in, or do you think Tua at the moment is a well deserved uh, front runner for the MVP award? I think Tua is a very good front runner, looking at the weapons that he's got. But there's one name I want to throw in there, and it's killing me to do this: Brock Purdy. 
I think okay, interesting. He might be regarded as a bit of an outside shout, but what he did at the back end of last season, you know, could have been taken on momentum and the fact that San Fran had a very strong offense. They still do, don't get me wrong. But last week they didn't have Ayuk. They've still got Debo Samuel. They've got Christian McCaffrey. But that guy doesn't look like he's he's Mr. B. He looks like he, he belongs in the NFL. Uh, to the point that San Fran gave up uh, a shitload to be able to get Trey Lance and they shipped him off to Dallas to allow for Purdy ne- to be their nothing. number one. For next to nothing. A big loss there because Purdy is their guy. They're now 3-0. It, it, I'm worried about when we come up against them because I know how we deal with running backs and McCaffrey is one of those that is a different level. I think Brock scored Purdy, was it was it 13 games in a row he scored it in now, which is just crazy. Exactly, and I don't think Purdy's lost a regular season game has he since he started. So he hasn't. The only game he's lost was that. Yeah, the, the only game he's lost was that against the Eagles in a championship game. But obviously, he went off very early and that injured. Yeah. But still counts as a loss towards him. I'd have loved to have seen that game if he saw it through. I think he that team is very very stacked, and I think he's a very good piece for that. Um, yeah, he's not lost the game, and I think Kyle Shanahan's scheming works very nicely for him. So the combination of which he's got. And the pieces that he's got around him, I think, puts him in as a, a good shout for a, for MVP. I don't think he'll win it because there's always your Patrick Mahomes and there's always your Josh Allens that will always be up there having that conversation. And I'm sure somebody will even vote for Aaron Rodgers at some point. But, you know, I think he, he deserves to be in the conversation. What about you? Um, I mean, Again, don't disagree. If, if you win games, you're going to be within a shout. If you're a quarterback at a team that's that's winning matches... Then uh, you, you're always going to be in the conversation. Patrick Mahomes again, like I said earlier, Chiefs will improve. I'm um, just very quickly trying to look at when you play the 49ers. Um, obviously, it's not playing worth them twice. thinking about, mate. It's not worth worrying about. <laughs> um, we don't play him until Thursday night football on November the 23rd. So you've got a couple I've got of months. I've the Friday off. So, yeah, I there don't you know go. Why. So it's, it's not until week 12. So will uh, will San Fran be? 10 and 0, having had their bye week before that, going into that game, will they've lost a couple of games? How will Seahawks be doing? Could be a great matchup for the NFC West. They're also the highest scoring offense in the NFC at the moment, third overall in the NFL, behind only the Bills and, of course, the Dolphins. Yeah, not surprised Dolphins are first, to be honest, but yeah, good start. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Brock Purdy it will be kind of an underdog. I, I do think Jared Goff as well could be up there by the time the season is over if the Lions do really perform if they end up in the playoffs again if you're a quarterback of a winning team you're going to be with in with a shout and the the, the fancy pick again is your Patrick Mahomes your Josh Allen your, your Joe Burrow but could one of those sort of tier two quarterbacks come in and, and take that award who knows um, again as we always say time will tell but I'll, I'll ask the lads next week and again another week of NFL action we, we might just have one or two other names to bring into the mix but uh that is a, by our standards, very short episode 70, and it is in the books. We will, of course, be back usual time next week, episode 71, with a full squad as it stands. We'll be talking this week's and this weekend's football, of course, Spurs versus Liverpool being the headliner. We'll be talking about the Qatar Grand Prix. Uh, we won't actually, we'll be previewing the Qatar Grand Prix uh, in uh, properly. Uh, and also, of course, what happened in week four in the NFL and those games that we just discussed, as well as previewing week five, which includes another London game as well. So plenty to talk about next week. And of course, the return of Kempy's Combat Corner. Uh, Kemp and Sam will share their views and their thoughts on the Zhang Joyce 2 fight. 
last weekend and also of course what is coming up in the very near future in the combat world so there'll be plenty to talk about we hope you've enjoyed episode 70 aggie i've enjoyed it mate just chatting the shit with you for the last hour or so but um you've got a big weekend mate we've spoke about it a couple of times when we've been discussing weekends but this is the weekend so yet again please tell our listeners and viewers what your new venture is and uh, how that plans into your weekend this weekend Yes, I am now going to be providing football commentary for Flashcore, hoping to be sounding much more entertaining than I do at the moment. Um, hopefully the cold will have all gone and I'll be flued up and sorted by that point. Um, but yeah, West Ham United against Sheffield United is the uh, the first one. Upham at Tom Kemp. There you go, I've covered it for him. I know he'd be doing that anyway. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, on the back of a, a big defeat last weekend, Sheffield United need to respond. West Ham at the top half of the league table and, you know, surprising a couple of people. So it should be a very good game and I'm looking forward to it. And I've even, I've got my microphone all sorted and ready. Look, can you see it? You can't. Uh, if you move it in front of your body, there you go. Oh, that's that's old school. That, that's full all John sorted. Maxton, mate. All sorted. Like, like it a lot. I like it a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, you've said up and now because you can't say it on Saturday afternoon while you're actually doing the job. So uh, Kent will appreciate that, no doubt. But what else have you got going on around the weekend other than, of course, your flash score debut? Um, I am golfing on the Sunday, hoping to get golfing done in time for the London Games and then London game done in time for seven hours of commercial free football. But Saturday, it's just going to be chilling in the morning. Um, my daughter started dance classes, so I'm going to have to take her and drop her off there at some point and then... Uh, pick her up afterwards and then it'll be all set um, on to the three o'clock kickoff and then uh, maybe even watch the evening game just to get myself all set and sorted. But yeah, the first of many, hopefully for flash score. So be a good weekend and very, very busy. Yeah. sounds like it, mate. Sounds what about like you? it. Um, not a lot, mate. It's been a pretty quiet September in terms of weekend. So nothing planned as of now. I'm going to watch the new Saw film on Friday Um, new one out a month earlier than what it usually is. I don't know if that's your kind of bag, mate, but uh Big fan of the Saw film. So, uh, yeah, watching that Friday night at the cinema. Not sure yet whether to just do standard viewing here in Chestfield or head to Sheffield and do VIP. It is on there. So uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, Saturday, pretty chilled one. Uh, might even tune in to you and send your messages and try and put you off. But we'll see. Um, give you a few words to, to say on the stream. But, uh, yeah, watch the uh, the big game, Spurs-Liverpool, on, uh, on the, the, the Saturday evening. And then Sunday, yeah, will just be a chilled one. To be fair probably an afternoon of an evening of feet up watching the NFL because, uh, yeah, starting at half two up until bedtime. That sounds like a good day to me. It does, mate. Yeah, just to answer your question, Saw is not my kind of film. If you've not figured it out already, I tend to watch a film and if I like it, I'll watch it again. I've watched The People versus OJ Simpson three times. I'm watching Friends for the umpteenth time and I'm still enjoying Grease. So, no, I, I haven't watched Saw. Maybe uh, maybe give the first one a go, mate, and then uh, <laughs> go from there. I can't remember. And this is the tenth one, so uh, you might end up invested and have a, a big weekend with Helena catching up on them. But who knows? But anyway, that's episode seventy. We will be back next week, as always. Full squad episode seventy-one. Kemp's kicking off. Loyal man, I can't wait to see who he picks. Aggie, have a great weekend, mate, and see you again next week. You too, mate.